as you get the notes, I'm going to move quick. Uh, we uh, had a leadership uh, meeting yesterday, had a great time. And uh, so those who were there have to act like they're interested because I'm going to say some of the same things. But uh, I want you to turn to Proverbs 29. And I think I probably heard this verse. Uh, oh, uh, I'll try not to be extra. Oh, at least a hundred times. Uh, anytime uh, people wondering where we ought to go, what we ought to do. Without a vision, the people perish. Has anyone ever heard that? Without a vision, the people perish. Pastor, what's your vision? Well, for how far out do you want me to go? First of all, I don't know that I'll be alive tomorrow. Do you want it to go beyond that? Oh, how many buildings do you plan to build? How many of this and that? I want you to look at the verse before you use some big management theme on me. I'm about the Bible. I'm not an MBA. Verse 18. Where there is no, and I'm using ESV, and if you have a New American Standard, it will say Revelation. Other translations vary, but this is the way they translate it. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. Now, let me say what it means, the vision, vision was not a management by objective statement. Without a word from God, and he mentions the law, without, and in the book of wisdom, without divinely revealed wisdom, without divinely revealed boundaries, without a word from God, without a word from God, the people will live unrestrained lives. That's what the verse means. So, when I bring it to me and the Christian life, and when I bring it as a leader in God's church, what vision should I bring to the church? I understand I ought to bring the vision of the one I represent. This is not my church. I don't have any blood in it, nor do you. The church doesn't belong to us. We're members of it, but there's one head. He's the boss. I can't hear you out there. Amen. There's one boss, and we need to discover his vision, his objectives, his purposes for his church because we can make it into our own image. We can make it to be what we want, and ruin it. I was praying here the other day, and forbid the, uh, forgive me if this sounds crude, but as I was praying with staff, it just simply came to me, God, don't let us screw up your church. It's beautiful what you want to do. Don't let us screw it up. He's entrusted us with a local church for however long he wants, as long as we have breath, until he comes, let us not mess it up. Let us follow orders. Now, three core values that I 
underscore about us. I wanted to put God. We are about God. Uh, and I, I'll just take that for granted that you're into God. And what is that, the God part? A triune God that is magnificent. And I would think that his people would be devoting their life as showing off how magnificent God is. Now, do you use your Bible in church? 1 Peter 2.9, go. 1 Peter 2.9, there's going to be a Bible quiz morning because I'm taking verses from everywhere. 1 Peter 2.9. And this is just saying that we ought to be about God. And look what it says in 2.9, a fabulous verse. He says right here, but you are a chosen race. This is amazing. This is what he said about Israel in Exodus 19. Now he says it about the people of his church. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. How come? Purpose clause. In order that you may proclaim the praises. What other translation? Excellencies, magnificence, superlatives, uniqueness, the greatness of him who called you. Are you doing that? Does God look big when I talk to you? Is God big? Paul said in Philippians 1, the purpose of me living is to make Christ look magnificent in my body. Does our non-looking world see a magnificent Christ in us individually and in us corporately. That's what God wants us to do. And three things out of that is the gospel. We are about the gospel, which means uh, we are about what God has done for us and not about what we do for him. Our message, our message is the good news that God wants to do something good and has done something good for his enemies that if you would only believe in his son, you could become a part of his family. We're about the gospel, not good works to get saved. We're not a performance religion. You can't work your way to heaven. I'm sorry. And I'm not ashamed. We're always trying to get you to serve, trying to get you. But not work your soul to save, for that my Lord has done, but I will work like any slave out of love for God's dear son. Did you ever hear that? I will not work my soul to save, for that my Lord has done, but I'll work like any slave out of love for God's dear son. I can't make you love Christ enough to want to serve him. You know, that, that's part of our problem. I can't make you love him. I can't make you want him. I can't even talk you into being saved. That's a helpless state, isn't it? Only he can make you want him. Only he can make you want him. Us poor preachers try, but we're seed sowers. We'll appeal to you. We'll appeal to you. He's worth it. He's worth it. But we want to be about the gospel. God saves and loves sinners. And out of that is a, a not only our growth in grace, and that is we want to be a people 
that are sharing God's grace and growing in it. And church can be easily become a legalism where you always feel like uh, uh, you're earning God's favor. Or it can become a very judgmental environment. Uh, it can take on a pharisaical, we're better than the culture, or we're better than the lost people we know. It is dastardly opposed to the attitude we should have. Grace means we live out of gratitude, thankfulness. I shared with the group yesterday uh, an amazing and overwhelming conversation I was having with my brother, David Winstey, uh, recovering from a surgery and uh, had some blue days, had some down days. And so I called him and uh, we were talking together and uh, he, he said, you know, Phil, I've been asking why a lot lately. And I thought, oh, well, I know when you're sick, you get down and you can get introspective and you can be down. He said, yeah, I've been asking a lot of whys. And I said, go on, David. Uh, what, what is the why? He said, I've been asking why over and over, why God would save me. I don't ask why my troubles. I got them coming. He caught me, told her, I said, keep on, David. What are you talking about? He said, Phil, I have to say, now he's crying. My brother doesn't cry much. I do the crying in the family, not David. He said, I absolutely would not have saved Dave Howard if I was in his place. Why me? Why did God save you? Are you better than those other sinners around you that never did believe? Those other friends you grew up with, uh, hoodlums, thieves, whatever, whatever category, does it matter? Why you? Why you? I'm so used to hearing people say, why is this my, my suffering? Why did I lose that? Why? You know, everything good is supposed to happen to me. Anything negative, why, God? And here's my brother saying, I've just been reflecting. I'm staggering at 79 over the fact that God has saved a man I wouldn't save. Why did God save you? And please don't bring another spirit to the church and to other poor sinners. It's like God was lucky to get me. We got to bring him I'm another sinner that was desperate. And if God could save me, he could save you. I can hear you. I, I raise an amen in church. If, if I'm lying, don't amen it. If I'm saying the truth, you amen it. You self-righteous Pharisee, if you don't amen that. Come on. I'm telling the truth. We don't want to be self-righteous, impudent Pharisees. Don't be hard on our young people. What were you doing when you were 16? Come on, let's talk. What were you doing? Which hubcaps did you steal? And what girl were you trying to seduce? And we all of a sudden get in the church, and you think we never sinned. Oh, yeah, you sinned. I can see it right in your eyeball right now. We're sinners. 
saved by grace. We want to advertise the grace of God, not we're so good. Terrible, terrible spirit. It ruined Judaism, that self-righteousness. And then we want to grow, and by growing is continually becoming like Christ, not just in knowledge. Uh, the knowledge thing never ends. It, there, there's more to know, you know, just Bible, facts. But are you growing in Christ-likeness, being conformed to him? Can we see more Christ in you this year? Have you stopped murmuring? Have you stopped complaining? Have you stopped blaming? Have you got out of the old uh, thinking and sins where God found you? Has he changed your thinking? Has he changed your love life? Have you begun to love people? See, are you growing? Are you growing? And it's a wonderful thing in my life to have seen people in this church. I knew them when they were unsaved, and I've seen them saved. I think about Don Andrews. I was with Don Andrews uh, 43 years ago at Alliance Redwoods. Saw him come to Christ at that weekend marriage conference we had. Got I've seen him for, I've watched him, I know him, and I know him well through my brother who worked with him. I've watched 43 years a man being changed. It's a thrill. Is God changing you? That's what we mean by grow. Growing in, out of what you were into the new man God wants to make you to be. Well, uh, we want to, uh, when we talk about God's uh, uh, purpose in life, uh, first of all, he wants to save you. You, you know that, don't you? And, and uh, save in the Bible is a three-tense word. It's, uh, I have been saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. Those are all three tenses uh, in the original language. I have been saved, past tense, Perfect tense in Greek, Ephesians 2.8. I have been saved. So if you ask me, are you saved? I could say, I am saved. I am. And if you put faith in Christ, you're saved. But am I everything I ought to be? I try to convince you I am, but don't talk to my wife. <laughs> I am becoming, I am becoming more like Christ because he continually is saving me. You know what? The blood of Christ is continually uh, availing to cleanse me in present tense living, cleansing me from sin. So I'm constantly being saved, even as you are. Ultimately, you will be saved with a glorified body. You will see Christ. You'll never sin again. You'll be perfect forever. So when I ask you, are you saved? You can say uh, one-third is complete. Two-thirds are in process. I'm being and I will. So uh, God wants you to be saved. Uh, God has gifted you as a believer. If you're God's child, we have enough gifts in this church, spiritual gifts on deposit in people like you, that this church should have no lack of any ministry if everybody did their gift. It's like if everybody in this church was taught and tithing and did tithe, 
which in America, uh, most Christians give less than 2%. So, but if we were a tithing church that I grew up, how many ever tithed in your life? Uh, did, did any of you start tithing while you were in your teenage years? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, Kevin Hodges, I'll never forget. I was uh, out here with my grandchildren. We're running go-karts one Sunday. No Sunday night service. So Sean and I had grandchildren out running go-karts on the Sabbath. <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden, I, I, we're there. Kevin Hodges pulls up and everything. And I said, hey, Kevin, how you doing? Man, what are you doing out here? Did you know about this? No, no. He, and he whips out, and he, he's got a check or an envelope. He said, here. And I said, what's this? He said, this is my tithe. I never keep God's money over Sunday. Right there. You go talk to him. He said, now, we could take another offering. Some of you are holding out. Get him, Kevin, we'll make you a nuster at the back door. But I'll never forget that. He said, no, I, I, I couldn't make Sunday morning service. So I came out. I don't want this money on me. It's God's money for God's church. Never forget it, Kevin. I fell in love with you that day. <laughs> He's dear to me. Uh, We've been saved for good works. I've got to keep going. I'm not going fast enough. Uh, this is such good stuff. Ephesians 2.10 said one of the reasons God saved you, there's three reasons God saved you. We know for sure. He didn't want you to perish, John 3.16. He wants to save you as a trophy of his grace, Ephesians 2.5-7. And he saved you because he created you for a set of good works that only he knows and you'll never find them out doing nothing. You have to get engaged somewhere. Uh, how many of you knew when you accepted Christ that God wanted to use you? I, I sure didn't. I'm just a kid. I didn't think I was ever going to be a preacher. I'm just a kid. I just don't want to go to hell. I want to be a Christian. And all of a sudden I find out I've put a special gift and I've got a set of works I'm going to do through you for your whole lifetime. What a wonderful plan. I can't hardly plan a vacation and to find out God from eternity has mapped out what he wants me to do. And he's working all things together for my good in his purpose. Is that true? God came up with that before daytimers came out, before calendars were made. And the issue you're going to answer at the end of your life Did you do the good works? And we all stand before Christ. And he says, I'm going to reward you and make you accountable for all the good works I plan to do through you. And there won't be anybody here just but you and I. And that's 2 Corinthians 5.10. We all must stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for what we've done in our body since we become a believer as to whether it was good or whether it was worthless. You know what? I've watched more basketball in the last two years following the Warriors. 
It's been exciting, but in eternal values, worthless. I even watched the Super Bowl. Nobody thought it could happen. I was walking out in the third quarter. Say you can't do. Say I mean, you know, I'm, I'm putting the basketball on the football field, but I just said it's over. What am I saying that? Let's forget Brady. Um, God, God will not use you without your permission. He will not force you to do his will. Uh, what is Valley about? We've said it over and over. There's really three purposes we know Christ has said. On that mount, he said, I'm talking to you, and I'm talking to a bunch of failure men, 11 men plus a few others. I want you to go to the nations. I want you to evangelize them. The going means you go and initiate telling them about Christ. If they believe, baptize them. And if they're willing to follow Christ at baptism, teach them to observe. So we see our purpose as a church. We've got to be finding ways and become a lifestyle that we are pursuing lost people at all times. And it's the hardest thing the church does because this church has never had an evangelistic pastor. I'm a teaching pastor. Uh, I get close to evangelism because I can exhort you and make you feel guilty that you're not doing it. But I can't make you do it. I can't make myself do it. Are we other-centered, lost people. Too often we treat lost people like the enemy instead of the victims. They are enslaved and need the good news. So evangelism is one of our pressing burdens. We struggle with it all the time. We've only had a few people that have stepped forward in mercy teams. They've worked with Sean or Edwin and some of you. We've all been in there. Uh, when I first hired Steve Fernandez years ago in this church, it was for the purpose of evangelism. We did evangelism explosion in those days. It's the thing. They call it the downward escalator in every church. We, we all want to have a Bible class, but you can't have a Bible class with someone you've never reached. If you think it through, oh, you say, well, no, no, I, I want to be with saved people. Well, how did they get saved? Somebody reached them. Was it you? No, no, I, that's not my gift. Forget about your gift. Did you reach them for Christ? You won't have anyone to teach eventually if we're not reaching. If we're not getting, who are you going to teach? The same people over and over, and they say, man, I've heard this a hundred times. Why, sure you have. Why don't you tell it to people who have never heard it once? We keep trying to convince the convinced. And they say, you don't say it as good as you used to. No, because you've heard me say it a hundred times. Guess what? It's supposed to be multiplied. Go, go, share the gospel, then teach them. And we take that as the equipping, and we combine it with Ephesians 4, that God gave gifted men to equip his people. And what was the purpose of equipping them? that they would be mature and get where they can 
uh, minister in the body of Christ and build up one another. So that it just, you just keep going. You go, you grow, you go, and you grow. And that's, con- that's before us. That's what our purpose is all about. And in the middle of all this, not just the middle, the preeminent thing is exalting Jesus Christ. Uh, I just heard a man say, there are no great preachers. There's only a great Christ. Christ is preeminent. And the thing you and I have to answer, is he in charge of what we do? We have to evaluate our ministries. Whatever we're doing, we could turn into a club. We could turn into the way down church. We turn into this thing. I always put it, the ruler of these criteria. Does it exalt Christ? Does it reach unsaved people? Does it help saints mature? See? And then out of that, we have two auxiliary things, two auxiliary. If you're new here or um, how many of you grew up in small church, small church under 100 people? Anybody grow up in a church that's small? Uh, how many of you, this is the largest church you've ever been in? Okay. Well, when you go through, come through those doors back there, some of you know the same. That's why we're trying to get you to shake hands with someone you don't know. Uh, now, if you just came through there the first time, and let's say, one, maybe I'm unsaved. Uh, do you ever shake hands and welcome an unsaved person? And please don't, offer, don't, please don't hand them an offering envelope. <laughs> Glad to have you. Here's three envelopes. Uh, do you just say, do any of you love sinners? That's so weak. I'm really scared. No, many Christians don't. They barely love one another. He said in John 13, 34, the world won't believe you really love God and that you fall in Christ until you love. Or do you knock on Christians? If you do, cut it out. You're in sin. You don't have to like all the You don't like to... You don't have to like everybody God saved. They don't like you either. You don't look like them. You don't vote like them. You're not their same color. Who cares if you like who God chooses? You got to love them. Big difference. Big difference. I love you sisters, but thank God I just married one. And I dated a lot of different Christian girls. They were wonderful, wonderful. But as soon as I took them home, I said, she's not for me. Wonderful Christian girl. But there's just something about the twitch in her eye just didn't match. I get to marry who I like. I got to love even the gal I didn't marry. As a sister, do you follow me? I can't hear you out there. You don't have to like vanilla ice cream. You still go to heaven. You don't have to like everybody in the church. There's some people that like me that leave this church because they don't like the church. 
what I'm afraid of, some like the church that don't like me. So what do we do? We're stuck. Get over it. Get over it, Mr. Self-Centered. When do people have to be what we want them to be? Do you love a sinner? Do you care about their eternal state? Well, um, we do two things in this church. We try to do it. It's not in the Bible, but we try to do it. We call it infold and enlist. Infold is basically this. If you come here, you come to this church, and you're here with us, uh, let's say you dare come back three times. You like the donuts. Uh, and uh, you decide to hang out. How can we make you feel a part of this family? Well, there's two things we do. We try to move people from attenders to members by our core value membership class. It's just an effort to introduce you more of what this church is. We don't know what your background may be. So that, I think that's a kindness we've said. This is what we're about. Then what we're really uh, trying to push, and I think we should have done for years, uh, is small groups. We, we want you to be assimilated in this church. Let me tell you what happens in many churches. We always worry about who comes through the front door. And boy, we'll say, we had great attendance, or we had a lot of new visitors come. But something you have to do, you've got to close the back door. And the back door is, I came, and this happens. I either found them friendly or unfriendly. I either felt welcome, wanted, apart, or I didn't. I either became assimilated and joined forces with them, or I just observed, attended, tasted, and I'm still church shopping. And so, by God's grace, in small groups and in other efforts, we're trying to assimilate you. We want you to feel this is a part of the body of Christ. You could work, fellowship, pray, be loved, and have your burdens shared. We want you. We want to make you feel welcome and to be a part. And so we, want, we seek to be a friendly church. And you, you usually are. You're usually pretty friendly with me. How are we doing with our guest? That's the thing. Let me hurry up here. Um, I put how will God's purposes for his church be realized? A people who knows God's purpose for their lives. If you've not yet surrendered your personal life, if you're not right with God, if you're not wanting to do his will, you don't want to hear about the purpose of the church. You've never yielded to his purpose for your personal life. Have you accepted Christ? Have you surrendered to him? Here, Lord, use me. I've, I've given myself to be used of you. Only you can do that. Uh, are you willing to obey Christ? Admit all your fears, all your failures, but I'm willing to be used. Uh, a people that uh, admit I don't have the power to do evangelism, but I will trust the Lord. Just like the disciples had to depend on the Spirit. Uh, I would say to you, uh, in doing God's purpose, uh, 
there's four things that I think you ought to consider. Uh, I don't know where you are in the church. Some of you have come for years. I still don't know what you do in the church. Are you here? Uh, you look nice. But I just wonder if you're in the yoke. Uh, I think of a church we visited. They have a goal in their church, and we came back with it. I share it with you. It sounds almost, eh, I'll, I'll leave the adjective alone. They said they seek for every person who comes to the church to get them for five hours a week. Five hours a week to be considered an active member of that church. What, what do you want them to do? Five hours a week. Well, we'd like for them to attend one service. I'm thinking, duh. Because uh, I grew up where you went to church all the time. Duh. Attend. Well, that does help. They say to be considered a faithful member in most churches in America today means you attend twice a month. That's what in America. People do not go to church like they used to. So, uh, you will attend. Okay, good. What else? Two, that you will belong to a small group where the body can get close enough to you to uh, do the one another's. They can pray for you, bear one another's. It's, it's, we can't do the one another's here, but we can do it in small groups. We can, you know, care, share. Are you in a small group? If you're not, you're missing out. You're missing out on the body, how people can encourage you. Carol and I are going to a small group. Uh, if we weren't in that setting, and I don't leave it, uh, it's a different dynamic totally than being here on Sunday. I encourage you to get in a small group. It will be a feast for you. It'll be a place where you can know people. Uh, they can know you. Uh, God's treasures are wrapped up in his people. So get into a small group. All right? And then serve. Now get this. I'm quoting this at the church. Serve one hour a week. Now, let me ask you this. You're here, so one. Are you in a small group? Why not? I've never been in one. What if you're missing out? I think it'd be a great place for it to feel more a part of us than the other time. I think it'd be a blessing. Where do you serve? And that's where... My secretary, Deb McMillan, has taken this on, uh, and it's more than she needs to be doing. But she's trying to help people. I want to serve. Where can you serve in this church? And I think there's many of you feel that way. And it's not easy for us to know who out there is it that wants to serve. But if you feel like, I want to serve, but I don't know where to serve, everything seems to be covered Oh, you're living with illusions. We have all kinds of gaps, all kinds. I mean, from children's church, from children's ministry, uh, youth. I mean, throughout the church, to be of this size and to see what you saw in the film, 
How many bodies do you think it takes to do that? I mean, it takes an army. Let's say Candy Kingdom when 2,000 people showed up. How many of our people had to be there to manage all that? I mean, the preparation, the food, the candy, on and on. You say, ah, I'm glad we got that over. Guess what? I think yesterday we had about 80 of us at a leadership meeting. The work, the work, the work to produce the, the, all the material. The Ron Hughes that helped make this video with Bill Smith, they worked hours on it. He wrote the script. Oh, I know, I know. He's paid to be good. You're good for nothing. <laughs> you know, we know that. Uh, but it was done. It was done. And so, five hours in your week, five hours, let's say, do you give God's church five hours a week? Many of you don't. You don't serve. You do attend. Praise the Lord for that. And many of you are givers that don't necessarily sign up for service. Boy, we wish we could employ you. What has God gifted you to do? What has God gifted you to do? I think it's something a businessman in our church really, you think uh, donuts and coffee. How many of you had a donut today? You're guilty. Go ahead. Raise your hand. Okay. That thing was dying. It, was, it, it went away. And Gene Schnabel, who was one of our elders, picked it up. We told him to give it up because he's an elder. He doesn't need to be out. But he nurtured it, had a team of Gaylene and Kathy and, and different fine and wonderful people. And then one of our dear deacons, Tom, took it. They, they got plenty to do. But they want to make you feel welcome. They want to make visitors feel welcome. It's just an act of hospitality. Monday, did any of you have coffee this morning? When I grew up, you ate at home. You don't go to church to get a cup of coffee. Huh? When do we start feeding all you Philistines? <laughs> you know, we're just trying to be friendly. But it happens because people give their body, their time. Somebody picks up the donuts. Yeah. And so I'm just saying things all over that have nursery. Have any of you, wait, before you go home today, uh, you want a blessing. Uh, is there any woman here that ever had a baby? Any? Don't any of the men raise their hand. Uh, go by and see our nursery. It is fabulous. You know how I saw it? My grandson, Anthony, said, you've got to see the nursery. So, you've got to go see it. I mean, man, have you ever been in a nursery that looked like it was on the ark? They kept the animals in it? You ought to go see our nursery. It's outstanding. I mean, good night. I want Carolyn to have another baby. <laughs> so we just use the nursery. Come on. You know, don't tell her that. That scared the daylights out of her. But uh, I would just say, don't make church life hard. 
Don't make it hard. We want you to attend. Oh, yeah. The four S's, I would say, I'm, I'm in an alliterative mood. I've, just, I've dreamed in S's, G's, and poor Andrew about Grover Batty, all these rhymes. Uh, just come up, come to church on Sunday. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. It's so wonderful to preach to bodies and faces and not empty pews. Thank you. And uh, decide you want to belong to a small group. We, we don't want to hurt you. We want to know you. And we need to know you. You need to know us. We want you to be blessed. Decide if you're going to serve. If you want to serve, let me know and I'll forget. <laughs> let Debbie know. And she might. Well, if you want to serve, we will work with you to see that God gives you a place. We want you. We need you. Did you hear that? We, I don't know what your gift is. I don't know what your bent is. We'll find something for you. You should be able to minister in the church you go to. I think of this couple. I go blank. Back here, that worked at Volleyball Madness. I go out there. I, the first time I ever met them and had a conversation they were out with a bunch of our high school people. And I said, boy, strangers just come into our events. Well, they've been coming to church about a year, working with our kids. What are you doing out here? We wanted to serve. Is that okay with you, Pastor? I want to know everybody that gets out there and lets a kid hit them in the head with the volleyball. Thanks. What can God do through you and only you that we might be missing out on? We want you. And I want to say to you, I am so blessed by the volunteer army, the elders, the deacons. You know, we've gone through a time of, uh, we for about a year and a half have had an attrition. We went down, we lived through a scandal when when you have it published on the news and in the newspapers that you employ pedophiles, do you think we took a hit? People stayed away in the droves that had young people. Do you think we endorsed that? 45 years, we never had it happen. And, you know, I found out, I've been in this church when we had downturns. I've been in this church when we were plateaued, and I've been in it when we've had surges. And from God's perspective, he said, I want you to stand in all seasons. I remember when we were building that building, people left our church. It was a downturn in our attendance. I remember when my daughter got pregnant, 200 people left me at one time. I'm not going to a church with a pastor with a daughter that get pregnant. So they went to another church. I remember in that building program, all they talk about is money. All they talk about is money. We were trying to build a building. We never built a building. We needed liquid money to pay for contractors, to buy material. So the physical needs were before. I'm getting out. I'm not going to church when they talk about money. But I want a good building, and I want a good chair, and I want a good nursery. Well, go see the nursery. 
And guess what? Somehow, I don't know how, but the grace of God, I'm still here. And I've lived through many seasons, many seasons. And I want to say to you, I want to say to you that have remained faithful, faithful. You, I cannot tell you how many faithful, wonderful people make up this church. This church is great because of God in you, not me. Preachers come and go. But God has made you a great people. And we're going to grow again. We're going to get better. We're going to, do, we're going to overcome the slander of the enemy. And we're going to stand and watch God rebuild us because we're going after souls. We're going to equip and we're going to correct what's wrong because we're growing. We're growing in grace. Amen? God bless you. You can go. God bless you. Sign up and serve.